Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's edition of One Million by One Million podcast. In this edition, we are speaking with Guy Reshef of Grove Ventures. Guy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So tell us about your investing focus. How big is the fund? What size investments do you make? Let's get to know one another. Great. Uh, so, so Grove Ventures uh, is an early stage uh, VC uh, focusing on deep technology companies. So anytime you might see a very tough technical problem, multidisciplinary, uh, deep science that no one else will touch, definitely not at early stage, that's what we are all about. Our fund size is uh, 110 million. Uh, we invest in uh, seed stage. Uh, seed and A uh, round is usually where we enter. We continue to support the companies all through uh, their life cycle. Uh, and we focus primarily on what we call Israeli-related uh, opportunities. Um, so the vast majority of our companies originate in Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. Like most companies in Israel, they become U.S. companies very quickly, and in our case, usually faster than others. Uh, yeah. So it's very typical to have a model where uh, uh, engineering continues uh, to be maintained in Israel, but uh, corporate headquarters, um, business development functions move to the U.S. Um, and we also uh, invest in companies that are Israeli-related, meaning uh, could be entirely uh, in the U.S., uh, but have an Israeli entrepreneur. And I would also encourage companies uh, that uh, do not have any Israeli component but are thinking of having one uh, to come talk to us. Okay. And can you double-click down on um, the types of investments? You've already said you like deep technology. Talk about industry sector. Is it B2B, B2C, both, one or the other? And also elaborate a bit more on the stage. You said seed. Now, if you're building deep technology, often, you know, seed, how do you define seed? What kind of validation are you looking for to get into a deal? Sure. Um, So so as to your uh, first question, uh, you know, what kind of sectors, uh, we look at things slightly differently than than a lot of uh, other VCs in the sense that for us, it's about the technology first. Um, and therefore, uh, you know, we look for technologies that could have, you know, some major impact on a very large market, technologies that uh, tend to be so complicated that they're not popular, uh, technologies that uh, have, uh, you know, deep scientific components that are sometimes uh, uh, hard to assess, uh, but that, you know, that their technology is difficult but, not, but not impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, we find that there are really uh, um, three secular technology trends uh, that over the last few years have sort of reached a tipping point uh, to put together kind of a, a perfect storm. And, and the first is sensing. Um, everything around us is being sensed, uh, whether it's our bodies, uh, it's machines, it's buildings, it's cities. There's a tremendous amount of new data being collected about the physical world. Uh, secondly, uh, it's the cloud. Uh, by now, cloud has matured to a point where it is possible for even a small company on a shoestring budget to collect all of this data, move it to a central location, store it very cost-effectively, operate on it very cost-effectively. 
And the third is artificial intelligence. Um, you can now generate sometimes insights out of that data that were impossible before. So anything at the nexus of these three trends, sensing, cloud, artificial intelligence, we tend to get very, very excited about. Okay. Now, that, uh, that uh, uh, can be applied to dozens and dozens of industry verticals, and we're vertical agnostic. Uh, many, many cases where multi-billion dollar industries can be really revolutionized using you know, these types of technologies, and therefore, we don't necessarily look at ourselves as a B2B or B2C, or, and, and, and definitely not a SaaS or FinTech uh, uh, type of investor. It's all of the above as long as there is a key differentiated technology where people care about it. And how do you um, decide to get into a company? Uh, what kind of validation are you looking for in a um, investment thesis of a company to be convinced? Um, so we're typically the first uh, institutional money uh, uh, in a company. Um, and uh, there could be uh, uh, a wide array of, of, of kind of what that means. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, it would be just two guys in a PowerPoint. Um, or it could be a company that has gone uh, through uh, several million millions of dollars through uh, technology validation and anything in between. Um, the type of validation that we look for, uh, you know, focuses on ensuring that, uh, uh, I would say, the research uh, component of R&D, uh, there's good evidence that that's being completed, uh, kind of a, a, a proof of existence uh, uh, in some way. We recently invested in a company that is developing a, a novel sensor for autonomous driving that complements uh, the things we're familiar with. Uh, cameras, uh, LIDARs, and radars. In this case, uh, this is a sensor that is uh, uh, operating on shortwave infrared and therefore can see at night, can see through uh, uh, poor weather. Uh, and this came out of university research where a single pixel of such an imager was fabricated in a CMOS process uh, 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 you know, kind of proofing out the value proposition, and therefore uh, we feel there's a good chance that the research here is uh, uh, really uh, uh, created a, a major breakthrough in this area that could be, you know, in, in every autonomous vehicle of the future. From here, there's a tremendous amount of development uh, uh, that remains in getting this to product grade and going from one pixel to a full array and so on. Uh, so that's one really good example uh, of, of a typical entry point that we look for. So, you know, a, a follow-on question that comes to my mind is that if you are looking for most of the core R&D to be done before you come in, what is the assumption about how the company that you want to fund or you want to consider funding funds the, that R&D phase? Is it, is it coming out of university research? Is it coming out of government agency research? Where, where, are, where is your deal flow coming from? Um, it's a wide variety of sources. 
uh, and just to make it clear, we, we don't expect the vast majority of R&D to be completed. Uh, we usually enter at the point where there's a, a tremendous amount of additional development uh, to be done. It's really just the fundamental basic research uh, uh, that, that we feel is, is uh, completed and, uh, and, and we're able uh, to validate. Um, we have an extensive network uh, of entrepreneurs that we deal that we uh, communicate with. Uh, some of but them the are question, specifically, the question yeah. that I'm asking is not so much where your deal flow is coming for, rather how is your deal flow being funded before you would consider investing in them? Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. Um, so uh, typically, um, there could be several avenues. Some uh, companies we see coming out of university research, uh, as you mentioned. Others mm -hmm. have raised uh, small angel rounds uh, and have uh, gone through uh, uh, a process, uh, uh, you know, kind of on a on a very minimal budget. Uh, typically, uh, you know, let's say under under half a million dollars uh, before they can demonstrate uh, the kind of things that they need. Um, we don't tend to follow uh, other institutional investors. Uh, and we don't uh, tend to enter the stage where the company uh, is already fleshed out to, you know, uh, uh, 10 dozen people. That, that's typically too late for us. Mm -hmm. uh, we like to enter at that initial stage where the DNA of the company is still being formed. It's usually just the entrepreneurial team, uh, and they've been working on it, uh, uh, either on their own resources or a very small raise or in a university setting, so somewhere between several months or a year. And are, uh, it sounds like there are there's a substantial pool of angel investors in Israel who are willing to then fund this kind of R&D phase ventures, yes? Um I, I wouldn't characterize it necessarily as, as very different or, or more abundant than uh, uh, the Valley. Maybe maybe the opposite is true. Uh, well, in the Valley, it used to be yeah. true at one time that angel investors were willing to fund R&D stage ventures. Nowadays, it's becoming fewer and fewer. People all people want all that to be bootstrapped or done, you know, on the entrepreneur's dime and and. Uh, customer development, customer validation work to be completed before anybody is willing to fund the company these days. Um, and, 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 I, and I do see that as well uh, in certain market segments where, where it's possible to do that. Um, obviously, certain... Uh, but it's harder and harder. If you have very deep technology, getting a lot of customer validation done prior to being able to develop a certain amount of technology is not so easy. So it creates a, a uh, much more complex chicken and egg. You know, you know um, I, I think we've, we've, we've been quite lucky. Uh, we spend our days with, with some of the most brilliant people in the world, in my opinion. Uh, and I keep getting, uh, uh, you know, impressed uh, at the very creative and innovative ways uh, by which entrepreneurs uh, are able to leverage, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> beg, borrow, and steal uh, yes. <laughs> uh, their way into <laughs> uh, their way into, into making progress. Some of the most tenacious people in the world, um, and and that's really the kind of people that we look for. Uh, uh, and in some ways, 
uh, it's also a type of filter uh, that's good for us to observe regarding the team. How well have they been uh, you know, uh, able to, to make progress in this tough environment on scrappy uh, uh, budgets? What have they been uh, able to leverage? How are they casting their problem differently? Potentially, mm-hmm. in order to make that validation, uh, um, you know, uh, more more uh, accessible. Uh, and we do not do many many deals every year. Uh, we do maybe four or five. Uh, yeah. We typically see about you know uh, close to 800 companies a year. Um, the ones that truly stand out, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, are able to do uh, find problems that are. That, that you can de-risk with a reasonable budget and find uh, uh, supportive people around them who, who buy into their, uh, into their vision. Um, and, and by the way, that's, that's many times one very important uh, characteristic. Uh, we like to deal with technologies that we know will have very large impact uh, on large markets. And, and, I, I, and I tend to... Uh, um, see that uh, the angel investors as well as the uh, downstream VCs are also uh, uh, thinking along similar lines. It's a little bit less about uh, uh, you know, how much money you're applying now uh, and more about what is the size of the potential out- outcome when you succeed. So if you look at the last six months of your deal flow, could you synthesize what are some of the most um, interesting trends that you have observed in the deal flow? Sure. Um, one very common one uh, is, is artificial intelligence. Uh, it's obviously yep. everywhere. Um, it's everywhere. I think my senses were, were kind of uh, past uh, maybe the peak of the hype cycle here. Uh, and, and it's no longer... SaaS, uh, large markets are kind of over. Everything in SaaS right now is niche. Um, the, the, uh, if, if what you mean is that the basic infrastructure, uh, you know, the groundwork is, has been laid, uh, that's, that's true uh, in many ways. The caveat that I would that, uh, uh, that, that I would uh, uh, say about that is that um, some of these niches, it, it really depends on the type uh, of problem uh, that you're trying to solve. Um, and in our specific case, uh, you know, I like to call this not SaaS, but uh, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, hardware as a service. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that uh, is, is cases where hardware is uniquely enabling a SaaS business model. I invested uh, recently in a company that's uh, uh, called Spry Health uh, that is developing a wristband that can measure accurately, clinical grade, almost any human vital sign, including uh, uh, blood pressure, which no one can do, blood oximetry, which no one can do, and many others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one approach that's been taken by people in the past is to try to, to, to sell this as a hardware uh, uh, consumer hardware, uh, uh, you know, a Fitbit-like device and so on. We're doing with this something completely different. Uh, we're uh, effectively 
selling this to healthcare providers as mm-hmm. a service. Um, they uh, are today already spending billions on monitoring the roughly three uh, to 5% of the, po- of the population that's generating 50% of the cost because they have mm-hmm. chronic conditions and con- keep going to the hospital. We can yeah. use our technology to identify when they'll go mm-hmm. to the hospital three, sometimes four days before it happens. The delivery method for us uh, uh, is a SaaS service, alerting mm-hmm. uh, remote patient monitoring organizations uh, for these type of deteriorations uh, uh, before they occur so they can take action. I see. Um, interesting. That's interesting go-to-market strategy. That, that, yeah, that is uniquely enabled uh, by some hardware that is sold, sold as a SaaS, uh, uh, in a SaaS model. Um, this is no niche, not niche by any stretch of the imagination. So mm-hmm. you, there are things, uh, I, I tend to agree with you that many of the SaaS deals around uh, tend to be very limited uh, in scope. Um, but there are entrepreneurs who are doing much better than that in my opinion as well. Well, and, and also it's a definition of what is limited, right? I mean, there are 100 million, 200 million dollar TAM opportunities in niche SaaS. And if you actually build a capital-efficient company as an investor and as an entrepreneur, you can make plenty of money in those deals as well. Um, you know, the... the, the uh, uh this, this, this question has a little bit to do with the economics of, of, of the venture model, uh, and, and there's been you know a lot of uh, uh, discussion about this. I would uh, uh, recommend to anyone listening, you know, if they want to learn a little bit more about it, look it up on Quora. There's, there's plenty of really good answers uh, about this. But the, the long and the short of it is that uh, really, uh, um, in order to uh, for, for a VC to return uh, a fund of any meaningful size, uh, you know, uh, let's, let's say $100 million and above, uh, it's really, really hard to do without uh, building uh, companies that can really uh, uh, attack markets that are bigger than that. Um, well, I think the, the truth I, is I there's a... Right companies, uh, so, so they need to be able to generate revenues of you know, somewhere between 100 and 150 uh, a million dollars, um, and it's really hard to do that in a market that's not on the order of a billion of a billion dollars. That's right. That's, that's right. But I think the trend of the industry is that there are lots of micro VCs that are operating very small funds these days. I mean, the market has proliferated. There are probably five, six hundred micro VCs that are. Um, you know, operating funds in the $10 million to $50 million range, and, and those guys can actually play in these smaller markets and still make plenty of money. If you're talking about the larger funds, of course, it's the regular venture game and the regular, you know, one company in the portfolio has to hit a home run uh, such that the rest of the portfolio can work. And you can't really play these smaller, um, you know, singles kind of hit uh, opportunities. But it, if, it's, if you're playing a small fund, playing with a small fund, I think the strategy can be vastly different. Uh, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. th- there are uh, plenty of great companies around uh, that are not venture scale. Uh, That's right. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I would not... And the vast majority of the companies out there are not venture scale. Correct. 
and and uh, uh, the I, I would not discourage anyone who who's passionate about an idea and feels that uh, he can uh, build a company uh, you know take it to 20 30 million dollars of revenue um, and, and through that process create a, a an amazing outcome for himself um, there's absolutely people around uh, with smaller funds uh, who will back these types of opportunities right so a few trend questions um, and I'm actually looking for answers specific to the Israeli ecosystem since that's your specialty. How do you process the current in investment climate where capital is moving further and further upstream? How does a seed investor mitigate the Series A gap? So, so generally speaking, um, you know, uh, this, this is a good time for the industry. Uh, there's, there's quite a bit of capital uh, uh, around uh, and I think that generally speaking, uh, you know, we've been through a few of these cycles. Um, this, this is probably uh, uh, one of the easier times to go out and raise money uh, in the cycle. Um, well, as, as a result, there's been a proliferation of seed-funded companies. Uh, you know, they're, the, the numbers that we are seeing here is this is an American number. Uh, 50 to 70,000 seed investments or, you know, pre-Series A investments, but the Series A number still remains constant, about 1,200 to 1,500 max. So there's a big drop-off. Um, what is the situation in Israel? I, I would say it's, it's, it's quite similar. Uh, obviously, the, the absolute numbers are uh, a fraction of what we see in the U.S., uh, but in terms of uh, the, the cadence of uh, uh, investment and uh, kind of the funnel uh, shape, uh, I wouldn't say it's, it's necessarily uh, that different. The, venture, the Israeli mm -hmm. venture capital industry has modeled itself very closely uh, uh, after With the Silicon Valley yeah, one. Silicon Valley. And so you tend to see the same kind of things, the same type of behaviors. And how do you parse unicorn mania in Israel? As a seed investor, you could get buried under later stage liquidation preferences. How do you protect yourself? So um, one thing that I would say is markedly different uh, between the two geographies is that uh, in absolute terms, the number of unicorns generated in Israel is significantly smaller uh, sure. than the ones in the U.S. And, and that has driven uh, some type of thinking uh, within the Israeli venture community um, that strives to achieve some more more limited goals. Um, and there's a lot of talk about potentially Israeli companies being sold too early at prices that uh, uh, are too low. Uh, mm -hmm. It's definitely been true that, that median uh, exit prices in Israel have been lower uh, than in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. Multiples have not been lower because the amount invested is lower as well, but, but the exit price is lower. Yeah, so, uh, so you're, you're not the, really playing the unicorn mania game to that extent, which is a good thing, I think. I, um, one really great example of, of exactly what you said is, is a wonderful company called Mobileye. Um, mm -hmm. Mobileye uh, was really the pioneer in autonomous driving. They really built the first, uh, the world's first uh, camera-based system for driver assist uh, and laid the foundation, uh, you know, collected all the data and laid the foundation uh, for autonomous driving. Uh, Mobileye was sold earlier this year 
to uh, Intel for $15 billion. Uh, and uh, Intel has decided strategically to uh, locate all of its automo uh, uh, automotive activities uh, under the umbrella of uh, this new division of Intel, Mobileye. Yeah. Um, can you guess what the number of VCs uh, that invested in Mobileye is? No. <laughs> it is zero. So it's a bootstrap company. So, so it was not bootstrap at all. Uh, it was backed uh, uh, by all sorts of uh, parties, starting with uh, angel investors, through, uh, I would call them maybe visionary, uh, uh, high net worth individuals and family offices, and at later stages by some of the best investors in the world, people, uh, uh, you know, some of the best names out of uh, Wall Street, Goldman Sachs and stuff. Um, and therefore, so this it had a, a venture value. capital piece. Uh, 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 exactly. So, so um, there is this segment here of you know you can see why this is what I would call a deep technology, multi-dimensional, uh, uh, multi-disciplinary uh, um, problem. Uh, VCs have uh, tended to shy away from it. Definitely not play the unicorn game in exactly the place where they should have. Yeah, this, I, I fully agree with you. I think there's a <laughs> the unicorn game is has to be played carefully and and intelligently and <laughs> and 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 I think you you gave a good example of how to play it. We have actually I wrote a book called Billion Dollar Unicorns a few years ago and and we highlighted in there uh, I think three or four case studies of bootstrap unicorns. Zoho, for instance, I don't know if you follow the company. This company is going to do next year probably a billion dollars in revenue with no outside financing at all. Um, there's another healthcare IT company called eClinical Works out of Massachusetts that has the same dynamic, probably going to do a billion dollars in 2018 with no outside financing at all. So there are some very interesting examples of how people have played the unicorn game but in a very different way. Absolutely. Well, those are, uh, you know, uh, obviously are, are, are rare cases and um, probably due to, to a confluence of, of situations relating to technology, uh, uh, markets, and, and exceptionally unique entrepreneurs uh, who are able to yeah. uh, uh, create is, that. They're uh, very, very amazing, powerful entrepreneurs. Um, yeah. Typically to scale, uh, they'll take capital. Uh, this is why the venture industry exists in the first place. Um, the, the <coughs> excuse me, uh, and, and therefore, um, you know, I would I would I would recommend to every entrepreneur to, to think carefully about how much capital uh, uh, he needs at each stage, and what kind of things he would need to demonstrate uh, uh, to investors in order to attract that type of capital from that type of investor. Uh, in, in, in many cases, uh, I think entrepreneurs make the mistake of um, underfunding uh, their companies uh, and uh, finding themselves sort of midway in between uh, and not achieving a, a value-creating milestone that they had liked uh, with the capital that they raised uh, and uh, uh, therefore not being able to go on to the next stage uh, of financing. Uh, it, it is true, you know, what you call unicorn mania, the, the opposite happens as well. Uh, and, and there is overfunding uh, into certain companies, uh, some irrational exuberance uh, over it. Uh, 
Um, my opinion is that we see this uh, in the automotive uh, industry uh, these days. Uh, anything that has the word autonomous associated with it uh, uh, seems to be raising a, a tremendous amount of money at very high valuations. Uh, and there's many uh, parties uh, who are looking to, to get a piece of this amazing transition that we're going to see in transportation. Um, neither one of these is, is a positive thing, and, and every entrepreneur should think hard before trying to play either one of these two games. Yeah. What are your parting comments uh, for our entrepreneurs who may be interested in working with your firm? So, so um, I'll say something that's, that's a bit more generic or general than, than uh, uh, anything relating to us specifically. The, the uh, w one thing that I'd recommend to every entrepreneur uh, is to ha is, is to do a, a five-minute read uh, of something very interesting uh, that we didn't write. Uh, it's the, it's the, the future manifesto of the Founders Fund. Um, mm -hmm. And it's titled, for those who are not familiar with it, it's titled, you know, What Happened to the Future? Uh, they promised us flying cars and instead we got 140 characters. Uh, and and uh, the, the uh, Peter Seale and his, his group of Founders Fund, uh, I think, have done a great job there in articulating uh, why uh, it's not only... Um, you know, the imperative of our times to get back to real innovation uh, by solving very hard and difficult problems, it also skews the bias in the favor of the companies attempting to do this. And we are following a, a very similar approach uh, to our investing. In our mind, if something is popular, uh, it is probably overdone, it is probably overpriced, it is probably overcrowded. And it won't uh, generate uh, any. Uh, it's, it's less likely to generate an interesting outcome to investors and entrepreneurs alike. Um, so, if you believe uh, that you uh, might have an opportunity to develop a unique technology, highly differentiated, protectable, uh, that could transform a meaningful segment uh, in a meaningful market, please let us know. Uh, we. Uh, uh, tend to latch on to your difficult technical problems and want to help you solve them. Great. Thank you for being on the show, Guy, and uh, thank you to listeners for listening. Um, if you are enjoying these podcasts, please go to iTunes and review them. And uh, every Thursday morning, we have these free mentoring sessions for entrepreneurs from anywhere in the world. Please um, Stop by, and if you would like to participate or pitch, actually, and get some feedback on your venture, register on the website, 1mby1m.com, and under free public roundtables, you'll find the schedule for the mentoring sessions. Thank you for joining. Speak to you soon. Bye.